All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you guys are all doing well. Uh, look forward to our members meeting tonight where we're going to be able to explain a lot of the plans that we have for the summer and also storing in uh, new recommended members. And yeah, it's going to be a blessing. And so hope to see you all there tonight at 8 p.m. And definitely excited for next week as we meet at Parks. I know everybody who came to our last Parks worship, uh, they were just really blessed and it's great just being with one another and singing and worshiping together and even preaching in front of you in person as well. And so today will be uh, our last Zoom until parks and then we'll go back to Zoom. But those park worship, I think just brings a lot of life to uh, our souls and to us as a church altogether. So look forward to seeing you all there. And uh, if this is your first time visiting, again, as mentioned, uh, we welcome you and we're glad you could join us today for our Sunday worship. And uh, we've been going through a sermon series in the book of Genesis from chapter 12 to 32. And uh, the past three weeks, we've been focusing on the story of Jacob, who is uh, Abraham's grandson. And the context of Jacob's story is Jacob, he, is, he, he uh, stole the blessings that were meant for his brother Esau, and then he ran away, and he is on a journey to uh, this place called Haran to live with his uncle Laban. And uh, while he was traveling to uh, Haran, God shows him a vision, it's a stairway, and he offers promises to Jacob. And that's kind of uh, the last encounter that Jacob has before he enters to Haran and meets his uncle. What's interesting is starting today and going on these next three weeks, it's a very interesting season of Jacob's life. I know some of you, when you went to college, you had an interesting season where you went to school, but then you went abroad and you stayed there for like six months or for a year. And then you came back and you always remember that abroad study that you had in Europe or wherever you went to. Uh, this is kind of like Jacob's abroad story where Jacob, he was gone from his hometown and he was gone not just for a few months or a few years. Jacob, and he has been gone, he's gonna be gone for 20 years, 20 years away from home. And chapters, Genesis chapter 29, 30 and 31, it covers that 20 year period of Jacob's life where he is not home, but he's living with his uncle Laban. And today we're gonna be looking at the first part of it, which is chapter 29. And we're not gonna read the whole thing, but um, just to provide a little bit of context, Jacob, he, after traveling, he arrived in Haran and he meets his uncle Laban and his two daughters, and he stays with them for about a month or so. So now this is Jacob's new place that he's staying temporarily. And we're actually gonna do is if you have your Bibles, we you turn to Genesis chapter 29, and we're gonna look at starting in verse 15, what happens after Jacob stays with his uncle for about a month or so, and a lot of uh, interesting things take place afterwards. So Genesis chapter 29, we're gonna look at verse 15, and we're gonna go all the way to verse 35. So starting verse 15, it reads, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zopa to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? 
Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, summer's arriving, and if you're like me, you might be thinking about traveling and going to different places, especially as COVID is, uh, you know, the quarantine's opening up and you can actually travel again. Uh, but it's not just quarantine that makes traveling tricky, but uh, what makes it tricky for my family sometimes to travel is my wife and I, we actually like to do different things when we travel. Uh, for me, when I travel, I actually like going to cities or visiting like nice places because, uh, to be honest, I like comfort. I want to stay like at a nice hotel or a nice Airbnb. I like trying good food whenever I travel anywhere. And I like looking at historic monuments. Like I like going to like Philly or New York or DC just to kind of see like these historical stuff. That's kind of for me, what gets me going when we travel. My wife is different. She likes traveling, uh, not to cities, but to the outdoors because she loves nature. She loves trying good hikes. And she loves looking at not historic mon monuments, but natural monuments like the Grand Canyon and Yosemite and, and so forth. And so when we plan to travel, we'll try to push one trip over the other or try to push to do one thing over the other. And again, the reason why is because uh, I, I like comfort. I like good food. And the reason why I like to do those things is deep down as simple as possible. They make me happy. I'm happy when I'm comfortable. I'm happy when I'm eating good food. My wife, my wife is the other way where she is actually once she likes nature because nature makes her happy. Good hikes makes her happy. And that's what kind of forms our decision for traveling. And if you actually think about it, this is what forms not just decisions for traveling, but for all of us, this for, happiness is kind of what's underneath what drives us to make decisions. I know some of you, you were working a job during COVID or during this past year and you decided that you're gonna get a new job. And one reason I heard is because your current job is kind of low paying, it's a low paying job and you wanna get a higher paying job. And the reason why is because you think you'll be happier in a higher paying job. And that's completely understandable. Versus others of you, you changed jobs, not because of a, a higher paying job, but in fact, you went to a lower paying job compared to the current one you have. And the reason why is because of the work environment, the work culture, because that's what matters to you. In other words, it's not really objectively what's taking place, but what makes you happy, it's what's driving all the decisions that you make. I like what Blaise Pascal has once said. He's a famous uh, Christian thinker, and he says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it, it's the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to the object 
This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. In other words, Pascal, he's making a very blunt statement saying, everything you do, you have to realize, even things that seem not good, you're doing it ultimately because ultimately you think that's going to bring happiness to you. And that's what we are all pursuing. We're all wired that way just to be happy. And nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with being happy. Christians, even though we're seen as sometimes a killjoy, we're designed to be happy. God wants us to be happy. The word blessed, which is translated as happy, it's throughout the Bible. But here is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Are you happy these days? Do you feel happy? Where are you looking to find happiness these days? And probably most importantly, why is it so hard to stay happy? Why is it so hard? Even if we find it, it seems so elusive. And today what I want to do is I want to explore this question of happiness by looking at the chapter we just read in Genesis 29. And I want to approach the story a little bit of a different way. I know we've been approaching Genesis kind of narrative and looking at it section by section. Uh, what I want to do is something a little bit different where there's a lot going on in the story. A lot of people are doing a lot of things. But what I want to do is I want to focus on the characters. There are four characters in the story that we just read. Jacob, Laban, Leah, and Rachel. And each of these characters, they're kind of like us. They're all searching for something. They're all searching for happiness. They're all searching for something that will bring them fulfillment in their life. But what's interesting is out of the four characters, only one of them eventually finds it. Only one of them finds the happiness that we're all looking for. And my hope today is that we as a church, we could take a moment to pause, especially before we meet again, especially before we kind of slowly return back to life, back to normal, that we could take a moment to pause, reflect on our lives a little bit of how we've been doing, and we could kind of take a big picture view of what we're actually doing and what we're actually pursuing in our life right now for happiness. And so we're going to look at the story by looking at four characters, and we're going to have three main points. First, the pursuit of happiness, how people pursue it. Second, the difficulty of happiness, why it's so hard. And lastly, the discovery of happiness. So first, the pursuit of happiness. There are four characters in the story, like I said, all looking for happiness in different places. What I want to do first is I want to look at each character one by one and see what's driving them. So the first character is the most obvious one, which is Jacob. If you've been trekking with us the past few weeks, Jacob, he is the youngest in his family of where he has a brother Esau, but he's the younger brother. His mom loved him while his dad loved his brother Esau. And Jacob most likely grew up hearing the promises of God, how God's going to bless his family and use them to be a blessing and all the earth shall be blessed through them. There'll be a great nation. But what's interesting is Jacob hearing that he's the youngest. And if you ever grew up as the youngest in your family, you know that you're going to get the short end of the blessings. You're not going to necessarily be the first in line to receive that. So what we've been reading the past few weeks is Jacob is the type of guy where he takes matters into his own hand. When he sees something, even if there's an obstacle, he's going to try and get it. So Jacob, when he, at first he got the birthright from his brother, the birthright of the firstborn, he tricked Esau and took that from him. Later, when he got older, he wanted the blessing of God, so he tricked his father Isaac and received the blessing of God. Jacob sees something that he wants. Jacob, he creates a plan all the time, and he will get what he wants through that plan any way necessary. And so that's why in the story of chapter 29, when Jacob arrives in Haran, he sees now something else he wants. He has his eyes on something new, Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. Look what again what it says in verses 16 to 18. 
Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. See, Jacob, he wants to marry Rachel. He's willing to make a plan to marry her, just like everything else, because he thinks I need her, just like I needed my inheritance, just like I needed the blessing, because that's going to be what makes Jacob happy. That's his MO. He wants something. He makes a plan for something. He gets that something. That's happiness. Let's look at the second character, Laban. Laban, he is Jacob's uncle, the brother to Rebekah. And if you want to know something about who Laban is, he is all about the money. Very successful businessman. And in fact, this is not the first time we meet Laban. Back in Genesis 24, we meet Laban when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And when the servant went, he met Rebekah, who was Jacob's mom, and he gave her gold. And what happened is, when, it's an interesting scene where Rebekah goes to her house and she has all this gold with this random servant, and then her brother Laban arrives. And in chapter 24, when Laban sees his sister with all this gold, he says, Rebekah had her brother's name was Laban. He saw the ring and bracelets on his sister's arm. And chapter 24 says, Laban said, come, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? In other words, Laban sees this random stranger give all this money to his sister, and he's like, friend, chosen one. And he brings this person in and welcomes this servant as family, because that summarizes the type of guy Laban is. He is a guy who wants to be successful, who's all about, again, the money. He sees everything as an opportunity to grow his business. So when Jacob, he finds out that he loves his daughter, Rachel. He doesn't do what a lot of dads, I think, in this room would do, which is, wait, is this guy character worthy? Is he worthy to marry my daughter? Or, hey, you know what? Since, you're, since we're kind of kindred, we're kin, I would love for him, her to marry you. Instead, what Laban does is he sees this as, hmm, I can make money off of this. And so in verse 19 and 20, it says, Laban said, it's better I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Because the reason why Laban approached it that way, he's all about the money, he's all about successful business, he's all about financial security, that's what brings him joy, that's what brings him happiness. Third character, Leah. Now Leah, she is the oldest daughter of Laban. She is Jacob's first wife, but not by choice. And the reason why is because she's not physically beautiful. In verse 17, Leah is described, the one description we have of her is the fact that she has weak eyes. Kind of a strange term, but this is an ancient culture where women back then, a lot of times, especially in formal settings, they wore veils over their faces. So all you would see is their eyes. And so the author highlights that her eyes were weak eyes, meaning that there's something lifeless or even potentially deformed about her eyes. And so she is actually somebody who was never beautiful. And what's worse is Leah, while she was never physically beautiful, she has a younger sister named Rachel, who was described as very beautiful. So imagine you're Leah. You grew up your whole life where nobody compliments your looks, nobody talks about your looks, but you have a sister. They all talk about her, how pretty she is, how beautiful she is, how desired she is. That's Leah. That's her life. And that's why later when Laban tricks Jacob to marry Leah, Leah doesn't say anything. She's just down with it because for Leah, at least she has a man. At least she has marriage. At least she has somebody who will accept her despite the way that she looks. That's Leah. That's what's driving her. Lastly, Rachel. 
We have Rachel as the fourth character. She's Laban's younger daughter and eventually becomes Jacob's second wife. And he adores Rachel because Rachel is a type of girl who has everything that a person would want. She's beautiful. She's attractive. People are desiring of her. Men desire her. Early in the chapter, she, we actually find out she's a shepherdess. She works as a shepherd, meaning that she's strong. She's independent. She's somebody who actually has a strong will. So I, I kind of joke about Rachel, it, like the movie Mean Girls, she would be a plastic. She'd be in that inner circle with Regina George and just kind of hanging out with those girls. That's who Rachel was, somebody who has everything, except Rachel has one big problem. In verse 31, we learn that Rachel, even though she has everything, she is also barren. She cannot have children. Now, this is, this is uh, sad not only today, but in, in, in the ancient Near East, especially uh, when a woman's worth is defined oftentimes by her children, barrenness would make life feel so unfulfilling for a girl that, in fact, in chapter 30, verse 1, when Rachel saw that Leah bore Jacob no children, or that, Leah bore, that Jacob, uh, she had children for Jacob, she envied her sister, and she said to Jacob, give me children or I die. Because for Rachel, as blessed of a life as she had, she felt like she could not really live unless she had that one thing that was missing. So there you have it, four characters, Jacob, Laban, Leah, Rachel, all looking at different things, all looking for different things, but all trying to find the same thing, which is happiness. And the question is, do you find yourself or see yourself in any of them? Do you see yourself taking the same journey like any of these characters are in Genesis 29? I know our church, some of you are very much like Jacob, where you know what you want, you have a plan, you have a timeline, and you're gonna reach your goals as best as possible. In college, you're gonna get that GPA that you want, 3.5, 4.0, and that's kind of your goal, and you, nothing will stop you. You're like the juggernaut, nothing stops you. You're just gonna keep going till you get it. When you're in your 20s, you're going to find that career and you have steps into that career and you hope to find a person to marry romantically. When you're in your 30s, you're going to want kids, one or two kids or so. You want property. And in your 40s, you're going to want financial security. You want to plan for retirement. And this is why some of you are so busy because you're chasing after this plan, this timeline. You don't want to be behind because you think that's going to lead to a life that feels fulfilled, that makes you happy. A lot of us in this room, you're Jacob. Plans, timelines, desires. Some of you do are a little bit. Some of you are a little bit different, though. You're like Laban, or maybe you're not all about the money, but you are all about like your career. You're very career driven, and you really want to make it, whatever field that you're in. That's why you're always studying hard. That's why you're always earning degrees. That's why you're always going to boot camps and trying to do different things to enhance your resume. That's why you're always looking for the next career move. That's why you're always busy on the weekends, busy on Saturdays, busy on Sundays. You're always hustling. Because you're chasing a type of career, a type of status that brings you security. And that's kind of what your life is. Your parents, especially if you immigrant parents, they convinced you it's all about having that status. You got to make it. Some of you, though, if you're a little more sappy and you're kind of like maybe more like me when I was younger, uh, those two don't resonate. You're more like Leia. You're like Leia. You've, you've been on the outer circle your whole life. You were the person who judged the mean girls, the plastics. You were, you were kind of outside that circle. You were never in the center. You've always felt slighted. You've always felt like never fully accepted. So what you're kind of doing right now is you're looking for a friend group to connect with, or you're looking for a romantic partner who can affirm you, or you're looking for a church that you could feel like you belong to. 
because you've never really experienced this deep acceptance that you've always wanted or really felt desired by a person who was desirable. And you think if you have that, that would make life feel complete. That would make life feel good. You're Leia. Or some of you, you're like Rachel. Or to be honest, your life is good. You don't have much to complain about. It's pretty privileged, the life that you live. Your life is nice and cozy and semi-charmed, but you feel like you're missing one thing. There's something missing about your life where you have a good job, it's nice, but is there a fulfilling job out there that you just kind of want? Or some of you, you feel like, you know, I feel life is comfortable and good, but I just want to travel. I just want to go out more. Is this really life that I'm living right now? And that's why even though you have nothing to complain about, you're not really happy. You're not really satisfied because you feel like something is just missing right now for you. You're like Rachel. Who do you relate to? Rachel, Leah, Laban, or Jacob? What are you pursuing right now? What are you missing right now that you think will make your life complete? And I want to affirm again, nothing's wrong with pursuing these things. Nothing's wrong with wanting to be happy. Human beings, we are wired to pursue happiness. But here's the problem. Daniel Gilbert, he's a professor of Harvard. He says, again, nothing's wrong with being happy, but people make mistakes when they try to predict what will make them happy in the future. Well, Gilbert says the problem is not to pursue the happiness, but what you think is going to make you happy, that's oftentimes what the problem is, which is why human beings, we tend not to be so happy in life. The things that we think are going to bring satisfaction does not, and that's exactly what we see happen in these four characters, which leads to the second point, the difficulty of happiness. What's interesting about all four of these characters is they're not just pursuing happiness, they actually get what they want. All four of these characters, they all get exactly what they wanted, but they live out what Gilbert talks about, which is it didn't turn out the way they had hoped for. Let's look at the four characters again. Jacob, he wanted Rachel. He worked hard to get Rachel. He had a plan to get Rachel and he gets her. He marries Rachel, but he's not happy. Why? because he got a lot more than he bargained for. Look what it says in verse 21 to 25. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, meaning Rachel, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place, made a feast, but in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Now, if you want to know how did Jacob not know the person he slept with was Leah, not Rachel, we could talk about it in Sunday, like the Q&A afterwards. But in the meantime, Jacob thought he was marrying Rachel. They ended up in the morning being uh, Leah. And that's when Jacob freaked out. He's like, what is going on? And in verse 26, we see what happens. And all the way to verse 28, Laban said, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. So Jacob got what he wanted. He married Rachel. But he walked away not just with Rachel, but Leah and another seven years of labor. That's Jacob's story. That's what he ended up happening to him. Let's look at Laban now, the second character. Laban, he got what he wanted too. He saw Jacob, I can make money off this guy, and he made money. In fact, 14 years of profit from this person working in Laban's farm. But what ends up happening is Laban, even though he made a lot of profit, he lost a lot too. 
In Genesis chapter 30, which is next week, Jacob ends up swindling Laban in his business. And in Genesis 31, Laban chases after Jacob all over the country trying to find him. He pretty much, uh, Laban got jacked. It's like he invested in a stock and he made a lot of profit, but the next day it just kind of crashed and messed him up. Laban got what he wanted, built his business, but he ended up losing a lot more. He lost profit and he lost family in the midst of this. Let's look at the third character, Leah. Leah, she ends up exactly what, getting what she wanted. She finds a husband, she marries Jacob, she has his kids, but she's missing something. She doesn't have Jacob's affection. Look at verse 30. Jacob, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Imagine you're married to a person, to a guy, and he's working hard every single day, all the time outdoors, but not for you, for your sister, Rachel, because he loves her more. He's always thinking about your beautiful sister. That must hurt. That must be rough. And so for Leah, even though she got married and she gave Jacob and Jacob gave her his seed, gave her his household, he never gives Leah what she really wanted, which is his love, his affection. Lastly, Rachel, the fourth character. Rachel ends up marrying Jacob. She even, and she wants children. She sees Leah having children. And eventually, Rachel actually gets a child. She is the mother of Joseph, who we see later on in Genesis. But when you look at Rachel's story throughout Genesis, she's never happy. In Genesis 30, when in the process of wanting children, it just tears her marriage apart with Jacob. They're just fighting all the time. And Rachel, she's always fighting with her sister Leah all the time. She is just bitter towards her sister who's having kids, bitter towards Jacob who won't give her kids. And even when she has kids, she's still not happy. So while Rachel has everything in life, except that one thing, even when she gets that one thing, she's still not satisfied. She's still unhappy. Now, why is Genesis telling us this? Why does Genesis bother to talk about this dysfunctional story like this? It feels like, again, I mentioned it last week, it feels like the movie Knives Out. You just see a bunch of characters who are having crazy family dysfunction. What is the purpose of a story for us to read about? And I think one purpose we could take away from this is that every character, they get what they want, just like the things that we hope to get that we think will make us happy, but they all wake up in the morning, just like Jacob did on the night of his wedding. I like what Tim Keller says, where he says, Jacob went to bed thinking he was married to Rachel. But when he woke up, he was like, ah, it was Leah. It just, it was totally different than what he thought. And this illustrates what happens to us. People who chase after something, thinking that, hey, this new relationship, this is the one. Hey, this new job, this is the one. Hey, this new life stage, this is the one. This new pursuit, this is the one. And when you get it even, it feels like you got Rachel. But all the time, as time passes, it feels like the next morning where it's actually Leah. And if you don't believe this to be true, if you think, well, that's not true of my life, when I meet her or when I meet him or when I get that, that's going to make me feel good. Ask anybody in our church who made it. Or ask anybody in our church who met the one or anybody in our church who has kids and see how happy they are. If you don't know anybody like that, talk to me right now. If you told me 15 years 
I, I saw your future, Tom. And in, a ten, in 15 years, you're going to be married. You're going to have not one kid, but two kids. And it's a boy and a girl, exactly what you wanted. And you're going to have a meaningful career. You're not just going to be uh, working somewhere. You're going to be a pastor. And not just a pastor at like this small church where your life is miserable, but your church is actually fruitful. This is your life. You're going to have a very meaningful career, a happy marriage, and a boy and a girl. If you told me that 15 years ago, I would think, wow, I must be so happy. That, my life must be so good. Now, am I happy? Am I good? Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I'm good. Like sometimes, you know, oh, yeah, marriage is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having kids is, I'm glad I have a boy and a girl. Oh, yeah, pastoring guy, it's cool. But does my life feel complete? Do I feel like I've made it? Yeah. Again, marriage is good, but I'm like everyone else who's married in here. It's not the end all be all. It's not, it doesn't feel like life is done happily ever after. It's good, but it doesn't fulfill the heart that I thought it, it would when I was younger. Kids are great. It's very joyful. It's also very sorrowful. It's also very tough. And again, once we had kids, I'm like, ah, it's nice, but it didn't necessarily make my heart feel complete. And again, pastoring is a blessing. It's, you can't get a more meaningful job than pastoring at a church where you're caring for souls and you're, you know, it's meaningful, eternal significance. But again, I've done the, all the life stages of the pastor. And once you kind of go, oh yeah, now you're kind of, what else is there? It's like, Again, it's, it's a blessing, but it's also sometimes a burden, and it doesn't definitely make my life feel complete. In other words, I also chased those things, and those things felt like Rachel's at first, and I got a lot of things I was hoping to get, but why does it feel like Leia? Why does it feel like Leia? What Genesis tells us is, it's a whole premise of Genesis, not just in chapter 29, is the problem is you're trying to find happiness in creation. You are seeking your joy, your happiness in creation. And the problem is you were meant for so much more. You were created to be with the creator and nothing else would satisfy you. That's why this is why the Bible says the essence of sin. It's not just doing bad things per se. The essence of sin is when you are seeking things for outside of God. When you're pursuing things outside of God, that's what the essence of sin is. And that's what the Bible says, the essence of death, the essence of hell. It's not that we're mainly suffering and pitchforks, but the essence of hell is you're not fully alive. You're not fully living life because you are not with the one who gives life. And that's why if you keep pursuing and making that the end goal, creation, not the creator, What's going to happen is you're going to experience what Scott Sauls, who's an author in New York, says, which is trying to fill your soul with any created thing instead of the creator. It is like trying to fill an entire stadium with a dozen people. It just will not fill it. You will not be satisfied. And so this is one of your first times visiting our church. An exhortation for us is many of you, you've experienced disappointments in your life. You've experienced where things just don't turn out the way you thought it would even though you got it, and it's important to realize why. Your job, your marriage, your children, your career, your accomplishments, they all give you some measure of happiness, but none of them were meant to give you the lasting satisfaction that you were hardwired for. You were made for more. And the Bible's premise is you can only find that true happiness that you're searching for when you go looking for the one who's searching for you.
That's the whole premise of what Genesis is talking about. Now, if you're a church, if you're part of a church and you're a Christian and you're a member, you go, yeah, I, I know this already. Yeah, yeah, of course, I should find my happiness in the creator. And yet for a lot of you who say you're a Christian, are you happy? Are you happy these days? For a lot of us in the church, I think when we gauge our spiritual life, we gauge it by, am I doing well spiritually? Well, okay, did I read my Bible? Did I pray? Am I sinning or not? Like that's, we use spiritual disciplines and sins as a measure of how good we are. But maybe here's a different way to gauge your spiritual life. How happy are you? How really happy are you these days? How stable is your happiness? Could it be that you have not been very happy these days, not because you're not doing the spiritual things per se, but in reality, you're longing for something that's actually far more creation than creator. You're filling your heart with things that are far more about creation than it has been the creator. And the reason why you're so not happy or you just feel dissatisfied is because creation can never satisfy you the way that you think it can. Because you were made to actually pursue something far greater, a creator who seeks after you. And that's why we feel wanting. I actually felt that recently where I felt like in the middle of the night, I was like, wow, again, I'm a Christian. I read my Bible. I just feel good. But I'm just like, why am I not happy? Like, why do I feel kind of just blessed? And I, you know, I could point to a bunch of different things. This isn't going well. This isn't going well. I'm stressed by this. Or I could actually also be honest, but you know, my heart's desire, it actually hasn't been God in a very long time. It actually hasn't been a creator to fill me in a very long time. And what that sadness indicates is actually something deeper that's going on in my heart, which is, hmm, I'm pursuing far more after creation, thinking it's Rachel, when in reality, it's being like Leah right now. So what do we do? How do we pursue this creator? This leads to the last point, the discovery of happiness. Genesis 29, I said, there are four characters. They are all pursuing happiness. They all get what they want, and yet they are all disappointed, except one. One character out of the four finds happiness. Interestingly, the person who finds happiness is probably the one who's the most miserable, which is not Jacob, it's Leah. Jacob gets it later. In chapter 29, Leah, who's probably has the saddest life. I mean, is that just sad when your husband wakes up and screams, oh my gosh, it's you. It's like, how horrible must you feel on your honeymoon for your husband to scream that at you? How horrible that for the rest of your life, sermon illustrations is about she's Leah. It's like, oh my goodness, that's a terrible life. And Leah, she had a rough life. She has a dad who does not care about her. He just kind of uses her as as almost like a financial gain. She has a sister who's just her rival and they don't love each other. And she has a husband who does not love her at all. Leah has nobody. Nobody, no, nobody cares for Leah. Nobody even notices Leah, except one person. For the first time in this whole chapter, in chapter 29, we see in verse 31, God comes into the story. God was silent this whole time. But in verse 31, we see in chapter 29, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. God looks at all the characters and he enters into the life of one person, the most miserable, who is Leah. And notice what happens to Leah as the Lord notices her and as she has children. Genesis shows Leah giving birth to 
four children of Jacob. And notice how she describes the naming of their children. Uh, back then, when parents dotted the names of their kids, it was kind of like music artists today. They, music artists, they named their songs based on what they're feeling. Like they feel like they're alive or they feel joyful and they'll name their song or their album after that. Back then, you named your kids that way. Like, how do I feel? Oh, I'm, I'm angry. And then you name your kid anger. Like that's just kind of how they describe their children. Sucks for the kids, but that's every right the parent had. Now, first, when Leah gave birth to her first son, she got pregnant, she had a son, and it was now somebody who was the firstborn son. And in verse 32, she, look what she says. And Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Leah was thinking, now that I have a son, Jacob, who did not care for me, he's going to love his son's mom. But then it's interesting. Seems like he doesn't. She never gets the affection that he that she wanted. Because look what happens next in verse 33. She has a second son. And in verse 33, it says, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And he called his name Simeon. So imagine at least two years has passed. And she has a, a second son now. And she's like, I hope Jacob loves me now. Nothing happens. And then we, again, a third son comes in verse 34. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. I have three kids for you, Jacob. It's been like over three years now. Now will you love me? Now will you care for me? That is Leah's hope. And that's why she names her kids the way she does. What's interesting is that's how she named her first three kids. All of a sudden, she has a fourth kid. A year has passed by again. And something interesting happens to the fourth kid. Look what it says in verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she ceased bearing. Leah, for some reason, after those first three kids out of desperation, hoping that Jacob would pay attention to her, this fourth kid named Judah, she decides, I'm going to name him not, and again, the child's name is at the state of their souls. It's not so my husband will notice me. It's not because I've been afflicted. But Leah, from somebody who really wanted her husband's affections and just songs of lament, all of a sudden she goes, Judah's different. I'm going to call him to praise the Lord. That's his name. And I am going to now sing praises to our God. What happened? <laughs> like, what happened to Leah? What shifted in her heart? Something took place where every commentator agrees, where Leah, the desire she had, the deepest desire she had for her husband, Jacob, she relocated onto the Lord. God, who has now become her God, he is now the husband to Leah that Leah never had. Because this God, she discovers, is a God who is the father of the fatherless, the defender of widows, and now she realizes that he is, she, he is the husband of the husbandless. And the result is, throughout these 20 years of Leah, or I'm sorry, not just Leah, but all the characters living in Haran, there's only one character in throughout those 20 years who actually praise, praises somebody. Everyone else is miserable, but the one character in these three chapters who's praising is Leah. Because through her son Judah, Leah has relocated her joy in God. 
she has found that she cannot what she was looking for in all of life cannot be fulfilled and cannot bring her praise until it's found in the one who offers her eternal praise who offers to be the one whom she is looking for and in a similar way as readers we are called to relocate our joy in the same way and what's interesting is jacob he has 12 sons from rachel and leah they have and they formed the 12 tribes of israel but of all the sons there is one son whom the messiah actually comes from and it's judah judah is the son who not only brings praise to leah but judah is a son who the greater son's going to come and offers praise from all of us who offers to give us what we were looking for just like what leah was looking for in her life jesus christ who is the messiah when he came into this world that's why he says he came, according to John chapter 10, verse 10, not so that he could kill and destroy, but he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Because Jesus Christ at the gospel tells us he gave his life for us so that we can have the true life we were looking for. And all that we've been searching for, all that we've been wanting in this creation, Jesus says, you're actually looking for me. You can only find it in me. And you're never going to be satisfied until you come and redirect and relocate what you've been looking for onto a savior. And so what's our call today as a church? I believe our call today as a church is where is your joy? Where are you trying to find happiness? And what God is calling us to do during this season is relocate it. Relocate your horizon. Relocate your joy, because right now, the reason why you are not as happy as you thought you were is not because you didn't get what you wanted or you're not getting what you wanted. It's not because what you got is something that you just got the wrong thing, but you've been looking for what you've been looking for in the wrong places this entire time. Now, I'm not saying when you become a Christian, you're going to be happy all of a sudden. It's not, that doesn't, that's not the way it works. Life is a journey. Life is a path. And the horizon you're headed towards, that's what we say is going to lead to ultimate happiness. And let's be real. Right now, for many of you, your horizon is work. Your horizon is stability. Your horizon is affection. And you're finding it in a certain place. But what Genesis is calling us to do is make Christ your horizon. Shift your direction towards him. Follow his way. And that's why we need his word to be happy. So you can know where to go and how to get there. That's why we need prayer to be ultimately happy so that we can experience his presence as we go on this journey. And that's why we need his church to be happy so that we can be encouraged with one another as we journey towards Christ together. And this doesn't happen automatically, but over time, every day, just like as you try to get healthier, it doesn't, you don't see the results right away. You look back and you realize I'm closer to the joy that I've been searching for my whole life. By pursuing Christ. And so church, are you happy? Where are you looking for happiness? Genesis 29 reminds us where it can be found. Shift your horizon, relocate your deepest desires onto Christ, and experience Leah's praise. Experience the praise that the one character in this entire story has experienced, which is found when she realized that God is the husband to the husbandless, the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows. Let's all pray together.